Welcome to the Social for Brokers podcast with me, your host, Chris Target. This podcast is for mortgage brokers and estate agents who are looking to grow their online presence through social media. I'll share tips, best practices, and useful tools that will help you save time and ultimately expand your business. Welcome to the Social for Brokers podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sean Rogers, who heads up the Mortgage Broker Club, which is a one-stop shop for every mortgage broker. Managed to say that without slowing any of them. Um, They offer over 25 categories of mortgage broker tools to help them find solutions for every case and any area of the business. One big area that impressed me, although it's a small part of a huge machine that they're running, was the support they can give with Google reviews, which if you follow my content, I'm constantly banging on about it all the time. So I'll be excited to get into that. And Sean's going to give a few simple tips and a few tricks away of how to increase your Google reviews, which are huge at the minute. So we'll be speaking a lot about social media, but also about the conveyancing system, which is the jewel in their crown and offers mortgage brokers a five-star service with USPs that rivals simply cannot compete with. So I'm interested to get into that as well, because it can make mortgage brokers' lives a lot easier by using the right conveyancing team. Now, if you know Sean, he's well known for his uh, brand, his personal brand on LinkedIn, especially on LinkedIn. That's where he focuses a lot of his time, but has utilized other channels to increase his presence. So I'm looking forward to talking about how he's achieved this over the last few years since LinkedIn has really taken that step forward. So, Sean, thanks very much for coming on. How are you, mate? You're right. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. I'm, I'm delighted and uh, I'm really excited by the agenda. So, yeah, if we stick to it. Yeah, that's it. We were having a bit of a chat before the uh, podcast started and I said, look, well, I tend to go off on loads of different tangents. So I'll try and keep it as succinct as possible and let Sean do all the talking because he's got some great value to add. So I wanted to start off the podcast by getting into a bit of your working career. So can you give us a little background of from day dot when you started work up until today? Yeah, so I sound like a right oldie here but when I was in just gone year 11 in school so for the older generation year five of seniors um I actually had to work so it sounds like this is the 1990s version of going down the mines so I would literally finish school and walk to a factory and I would work Monday to Friday and Saturdays um in essence folding tablecloths um, and napkins and, and it's a long story as to why I had to do that but nevertheless it did so I we had no silver spoon upbringing or anything like that quite the opposite really um, but I went to a grammar school so when everyone else was jumping in the Beamers and the Mercs and, and I appreciate not everyone will know the area but going back to quite affluent areas like West Kirby and Colby and Heswell and you know, sort of places like this on the Wirral I was walking down the hill to go to a factory and and and, and working in, in 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 that environment, which was when you get older. Um, me and a couple of my friends who, who sort of came really pally with working at the factory, and we, we stayed really good friends ever since. We'll be in like a restaurant with our wives or whatever, and you can't help but look under the tablecloth to see. You can normally <laughs> see the cleaning company you see in one of the corners, so we'll see if it was our old place. And it's always a worry <laughs> if you're eating in somewhere where that that's come from. And then through university, I worked in um, bookmakers because uh, I found obviously you get, you get paid more money basically for working the evenings you do Saturday Sunday 
Um, and if you got lucky to a certain extent and you got a quiet shop, um, then it wasn't too complicated. And I was when I was working there, it was just going into the digital era. So you didn't like prior prior to that must have been a nightmare because you'd have had like nine percent tax to calculate. You'd have to work everything out by hand. Whereas now it was like no tax, just put everything through a machine. So that, that wasn't too laborious, really. And I was doing law at uni. And then um, day after my last exam, um, I went straight into a law firm, a new law firm. Thrown you in. Yourself right, right, do you? From school to a factory after work and on the weekends, then think, oh, I'll do uni and get a bit of a break. And then the day before your last exam, you're straight into work. Yeah, so I was working through through uni. So I, I do you. I mean, to be honest, honestly, a law degree is just a, a bit of a joke, to be honest. Whisper <laughs> that in the profession. But when I went, you were in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday mornings. And I think what they basically said was, oh, we expect you to like read law the rest of the time. Um and although I'm undiagnosed, the the obvious, um, you know, autistic nature of me is basically like forget that. I'll just memorise that the day before. Really? Um, so yeah, like I, I I have quite a photographic memory when it comes to that. So much to the this, I mean, genuine disgust of my lecturers and teachers at school. Um, I ended up getting like winning awards at uni. And I feel really guilty by that because loads of other people really, really worked hard. And I just literally turned up to the lectures. Then I went and worked because mm-hmm. um, we needed to get money into the household. And I needed, what, I needed whatever beer tokens I wanted for the weekend as well. Um, and then, yeah, I could basically just memorise stuff. Like, very, ever, very... It's in the TV programme uh, Suits. Yeah, so yeah, so you it's see like Mike it. in that when he, yeah, <laughs> Mike and Harvey Specter at the start, maybe not quite to his level, but yeah, when I was at like junior school and stuff, I used to be the, the lead in the plays and stuff like that. I could learn lines very quickly. I remember GCSE geography in one morning, I, I, I learned Parrot Fashion 42 sides of A4, um, like in a morning. So I wouldn't have, it, it's different. That's not like knowledge. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. literally like passing your driving test. That's learning something for a short-term period where you can just regurgitate it out. But yeah. the stuff that I was doing at uni and your LPC and stuff like this is, it doesn't, it's nothing to do with being a lawyer. Isn't it? You can get someone who, it's not like any, some of the other degrees that you might do. Um, it, it's, it's all based on theory and other things. Don't get me wrong, there's certain skills, like obviously like legal research, your ability to write, you know, you literally do in, in five years of doing legal practice courses on law degrees, you only do, or back then, you only did a couple of months on advocacy and that was it. Right. So, so you're on the job, you've got to be on the job to really learn the job. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically you do your three year law degree or whatever. The next day after my last exam, I started in a, in a, in a, what was a new law firm. So that was really in at the deep end. A lot of young people had started work there. So that was like just the best fun ever. It was absolutely mental. I probably will write an anonymous book um, because a lot of the people who worked, there were two new law firms basically set up where a corridor separated them. And there was literally about, I'm not joking, there's about 80 people. And I would say 60 of them were 22 to 25. Dear me. In Liverpool City Centre. <laughs> on a Friday in, night. Just... In 2003. So, <laughs> in the height of the, before the massive crash, you know. Like... Yeah, and some of the, I won't name them, but some of the people who worked in those firms then have gone on to build 
very well known businesses and would be quite well known in certain circles in the UK. Um, but <laughs> that's why I'll have to do the anonymous book <laughs> of, the, of the of the weekends, shall we say, that that took place in and around those offices, oh, which which were crackers. But basically, for those who don't know, you do your law degree and then you have to go and do something called a legal practice course. And I think where there's a weakness in the system, is a lot of people go and do that full time. Mm-hmm. So they're not in practice. And that's a problem because the legal practice course actually is what I would say. The law degree for me is a waste of time, but the legal practice course is a worthwhile. That That is more real, realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're in practice, you can just literally turn up to the part time sessions and you're not doing anything really different to what you do in the daytime and it and it dovetails really neatly for me that um it's a hard slog I, you know i don't think being um if you go on to be a top solicitor or barrister it's not because of your law degree or your lpc or the fact you've got the qualification if you see what i mean mm-hmm. it's what you do next yeah is the most important who can, with and who can who can get you up the ladder kind of thing yeah no different look no different if you look at mortgage brokers you can go and get your qualifications but and I say this with law, the same as getting a law degree. So what? We because say it's this a lot about what happens next, yeah. and what you then do with it. Yeah. In essence, um, so yeah. So my journey was doing that. Okay. Um, I, I fear, and for want of a better phrase, two thousand three to two thousand eleven, qualified as a solicitor in two thousand eight, and then in twenty eleven, uh, twenty nine. Quite a crazy time. So I was 29, and then on April the 30th, 2011, my son is born seven weeks early, and the labour was 30 minutes. So to put it in context, I'm literally going, I'm on my way to Chippy having dinner to do that afternoon (laughs) for a mate of mine's 30th. And virtually within an hour of me leaving the do, I'm sending picture messages to, we didn't have WhatsApp back then or anything. So these are like Nokia, yeah, know, 6310s or whatever. Download line by line. Oh, yeah. It literally must have cost me about a thousand quid back in them days, sending picture, MMS or whatever it would have been, no Bluetooth or anything. And um, go, yeah, here's me son. Oh, and they're like, please. what? You were literally here an hour ago. There were people <laughs> still there. Um, and then a couple of days later, the, the law firm asked me to, to become a director. So in the space of a week, I've gone from waiting for my son to be born, 29, solicitor working on files, um, to being a dad and and being a director of of a law firm. Wow. And then, so did you then set up, how how did the Mortgage Broker Club come about? Oh, yes. So that's an interesting journey that, I mean, this is, part of this is definitely for another podcast or show, but I would say that, you know, my 20s, literally up until i was 20 i would say by western standards and by people living in let's say merseyside or you know you know in england um i'd I'd had it pretty tough me and my family growing up so i would say looking back um mental strength was probably my biggest asset but then in my 20s everything that can go well for someone look good for just could have fallen down a mine shaft and come up with gold nuggets, me in my twenties. But um, I, I don't believe in the word luck. I was speaking to somebody about this on LinkedIn. I don't. I just don't believe in the word luck. It's people. You put yourself in those positions to allow yourself to receive those, and that's yeah, yeah. I'm slightly different. I know what you mean. I I think 
how you look back on things is often like what we've just referenced then what do you do next mm -hmm. so i think if things are going well in your life you tend to forget about the hurdles and the things that went wrong and the problems because the overall picture was one of whether it be happiness or fulfillment or achievement or whatever it be um you know but to put that in context in my 20s i've literally gone from being at uni not really knowing whether i'm even going to get a degree or not to then actually um you know obviously much of discussed to my teachers because you could literally break the spine on my books but on paper i've literally gone to them being like and uh, you know there's that great i think it's steve jobs or 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 uh, I think it might be Steve Jobs said, don't get me someone who works hard, get me someone who's lazy. Because if you can get me someone who's lazy and bright, they'll yeah. figure out all the shortcuts and better ways. Now, I'm not lazy. I'm, I really work hard. But I think the problem is, if you give me a task to do like that law degree, and I had older relatives who were like giving me tips and bits and that, that if it's a case of just getting something done, that's not really that important. And there's an easy way of do an easier way of doing it than why not. And I was vindicated in that approach realistically because the grades speak to themselves. But if you look at it, I've, I've then ended up with the girl on my dreams, boy on the way, in my own house. In your twenties. Thought at the time that I always wanted to be a director of a law firm. Um, or, or, or in a director's role, I should say, not necessarily of a law firm. I'd just done my UA for B coaching badges. I'd had to stop playing football through injury and stuff like that. So just like my mum had been really poorly virtually all of my life. And then through my 20s, my mum had been a single mum. She'd been in, in good form. My brother had had it tough. Through my 20s, he, he was flying, doing really well. And then the next decade, was, which is the decade we just lived through, has just been tough you know what i mean so with you know that's again one for another show but that was just you've literally gone through your 20s of everything going perfect to you to then like you know i wouldn't want to bring people down on the show but literally stuff like having to resuscitate my mom and losing her um just out of nowhere and um, that was two weeks after my daughter was born and got meningitis and we were being handed like stuff about amputations and stuff like that then my daughter went back into hospital and could have died um, my little boy has had a lot of um, real tough difficulties, done phenomenal to overcome them. Um, and, that, and that's literally just a tiny piece of it, basically, in terms of what had gone on. And I think as much as you say, look, I think timing's probably one of the most important things. Yeah. And where I got very unlucky is that, I wouldn't say unlucky, the timing was key in that by the time I'd qualified as a lawyer and by the time I'd become a director of, of a law firm, the timing was wrong. Mm. So for the benefit of your listeners, if you go back to, say, 2005, people who own law firms in the Northwest didn't could be the worst business people in the world. And lawyers are traditionally horrendous. Mm. There's two things lawyers are generally terrible at. One is running a business and two is bedside manner and customer service yeah. and stuff like that. And I imagine any mortgage brokers listening to this with the experience of like conveyance and solicitors are like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, given that a big yeah 100 you know agreement so <laughs> cut a story short you could be rubbish at your job and just do personal injury and you all remember the like yeah yeah the you know, almost like cash for crash stuff ambulance chase and stuff the personal injury world to put it in context very simply for you in 2005-6 you could buy a road traffic accident claim right. for 300 quid and you would make two grand. So you could be horrific at systems. You might not monitor PL. 
you didn't have to do any marketing. You'd literally have claims management companies come and here and saying, give me 300 quid. You could literally lose half of those cases. And still make Think money. about it. And your CAC, your cost of acquisition would only be 600 quid and you'd pocket two grand. Um, and what people would do is go and hire trainee solicitors because you only have to pay them the minimum, which back then was 16 grand. Trainees would be desperate to, to qualify and do yeah. a good job. So you had people like me who were on 16 grand, but I was delivering 300, 400, 500 grand profit God. for a 16 and that's, grand. that's obviously why you were put up to being a director. Did you just get fed up of it with the end, in the end? No, sir. I, I, the, the, the problem was that, the, in essence, it, it flipped too far the other way, the market. So oh. that was wrong, really, in the way the market was set up. But in essence, the insurers, and I'm not getting political here because this is just the way the game works. If you donate to a party you expect reform to support whatever it is that you and your operation do. So obviously the trade unions back labor and the insurers late sort of 2007, 2008, they started back in the Tories. So what they want is the next decade is about saving insurers money. It doesn't matter whether it's floods. It doesn't matter whether it's mesothelioma. It doesn't matter whether it's, it's anything, particularly personal injury though, and, and you know, stuff like that. So I became a director in a firm having seen basically morons become millionaires over the last five, six years. But at the point in time I became a director, the, the, the level of reform in that area basically meant that that market was dead. Mm. So what I mean about time in there is I could literally have been five, six years older, done exactly the same things. And without having to do anything, I'd have been a multimillionaire. Right. Like, like many others were in, in Liverpool and Manchester in that era coming in at 2011 there was not a worse time um to do that so if you picture it imagine being 29 having had no mentors or anything you haven't got a clue how to run anything you've never you, I don't know how to run a business let alone a regulated operation you say yeah to the offer to become a director and then absolutely Brad Pitt yourself in the following days and go what does this mean and then when you go into your first sort of director's meetings on it, you realise that they haven't got much of a clue either. Um, and most of the board were not even personal injury or civil lawyers. So they didn't know what they were going to do about the reforms. Um, and basically um, not invested all the funds wisely, as far as I can tell, in terms of new work and stuff. So you had this firm that had limited working capital needing to change its entire business model if it was going to survive and obviously i only see what i've been working the files on if you see what yeah, I mean. yeah you, and then what what was the decision then to move on to the mortgage broker club then when did you make that decision and what yeah was- so during the sort of decade i i wore quite a few hats so um obviously i'd stopped fearing and at that point in time and uh i not only did I sort of part own and grow the law firm and maintain a director's role there, but we founded um, another operation, um, which was like a litigation funding service, which had which had an involvement in insurance, had an involvement in like digital marketing, had an involvement in Facebook marketing. Um, so as much as I have been a solicitor, if you like, I never really regarded myself as being a dead good one. I, I, I was perspective. I worked really hard. I know how to fear, and that's a very different skill to just being a solicitor, if you like. 
but there was no way I was going to do that until I was 65. So in 2011, when there was the opportunity to kind of be more uh, operational, shall we say, I realized that actually, if your law firm was going to be successful, you need to have other components to it, marketing, where you, you needed to be self-sufficient. So instead of relying on third parties, giving you work and third party lead you, you needed to do it yourself. Now think about this. This isn't just for law firms. Think about this in the wider market. So yeah. people who are buying leads in for the business, as opposed to trying to build your brand, generate your own work internally, all these kind of things. Um, and, and you realize as well, and this goes across sector, that it is so much more important, unfortunately, by the way, sometimes who you know mm. and not what you know. Um, and especially when you're trying to get into places um, which on merit you probably should do, but unfortunately you, you're not part of that. Yeah. So with the Mortgage Broker Club, you're essentially providing services to help those mortgage brokers and build that relationship with them so then you can speak to them and help them with their conveyancing. Yeah, I mean, to answer, I realise now I didn't really answer your question. To cut to the chase on it, when I was um, still uh, in the law firm and we had other business interests and stuff, I wanted to build something called My Legal Club. And the idea, in essence, with My Legal Club was that we would create what I felt that law firms were missing out on. And that's, you've got these claims management companies. Well, why were they getting the work? Well, one, they were better at marketing than law firms. And two, they were better at dealing with client inquiries than law firms so my view was if you can't beat them to a certain extent join them um and at the point in time law firms and still don't really churn out any good levels of content yeah especially marketing you don't see many solicitors marketing for, for anything really. no and to be honest with you that's the problem with the profession which again you can look at the financial services area as well and understand this struggle that you've got law, you've got people at partner level who are still having to not only supervise the departments, but the vast majority of them are running their own files. And the problem that most of them have is they actually enjoy being a lawyer, mm -hmm. but they don't enjoy the salary. Okay. So the only way they get the salary is by being the supervisor or by being partner or whatever. But if they leave the fear and inside of things, they're then very sad because really they only got the they got that job not because they were a great businessman or because they're a great leader or because they're great at marketing. They basically got it because they're a solicitor that's made a load of money. So these are like new skills in essence, they've got to try and learn. Yeah, and that's why they're just stressed out of their minds basically. And therefore they don't have the time to wear all these different hats. So for me personally, because I was building my legal club, um, we were obviously looking at the conveyance and space. And um, I've done a lot of, my mentor, if you want to call it that, is an IFA. So someone who's been a bit like a father figure in the last sort of 15, 16, 20 years for me, um, is an IFA, didn't do mortgages, funnily enough, but did like pensions and like all your protection stuff. Um, so just through that, we had a few connections in that market and we got approached by um, some investors who were looking at setting up a new mortgage uh, broker franchise. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to build a big online presence and then they wanted to have a high street presence as well. So they wanted local mortgage brokers using, if you like, the online nationwide brand. And they asked us to do, um, in essence, a consultation on the conveyancing piece. And we'd never looked at this before. I'd never looked at it before. Conveyancing wasn't necessarily something that I'd come from. Um, and it just blew our mind doing the consultation. We spoke with about 100 law firms. 
we spoke with, I think, 250 mortgage brokers. So it was, it was a big piece of market. You research. research behind things then, don't you? Yeah, it was a, it, and it, that was for the benefit of somebody else. But it gave us the idea of actually there's a way of, of doing this better. And then obviously speaking to um, sort of Alan, my mentor, if you like, mm-hmm. um, what I was, I was about to create something in a, in a different sector with this same analogy. And uh, I got introduced to a guy called Mike O'Brien. And at the time, Mike was changing his career and what he wanted to do. And he'd been in a, uh, worked in the estate agent industry and then worked in the mortgage broker industry for the last eight or nine years. And I said, wouldn't it be great if there was just one place where you could go and get everything? And I was talking more in terms of running your own business. Okay. And Mike was like, well, you know, in terms of the mortgage broker side of things, there just isn't anything like that out there. And then when we were looking at it, I was like, well, there's definitely something we can do to help mortgage brokers 100% when it comes to um, potentially stuff like um, conveyancing, legals, other things like that. Then you go, well, we need to produce, I want to create a community. That's what I really wanted to do. And then it's like, okay, well, what would that community need? What's maybe missing? And then when we looked at the market, there's a load of good content for mortgage brokers. But generally, it's all to do with whatever the, um, and I've never known a sector like it where there's so many different things that you need to be aware of in that if you're a mortgage broker, what CRM are you choosing? What are you going to do about sourcing? Are you going to go AR or BDA? You know, what your niche going to be? What do you do about your website? What do you do about your lead gen? What do you do about your compliance? Like the amount of hats you have to wear as a mortgage broker is much bigger or in or, or yeah, in the sort of self, anyone, especially yeah. the self-employed and, financial services sector it's just much bigger than virtually any other sector sorry to put in there if you have a look at the mortgage broker club website if you get you through linkedin or just google it there's so many tools on there that will help people so if you take anything from this episode go and have a look at that website probably say what 20 30 different separate tools on there that people can have a look at yeah they're free to access so yeah you 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 know, you if, we've had loads of inquiries this week, which I'm really proud to have been able to help people on. Um, and, and that's, from our perspective, it's difficult because everyone's just going to shout that they're the best. Whereas you can basically come on our site and particularly in like the features and stuff like that. Um, especially if you're um, more inexperienced as a mortgage broker as well, yeah. shall we say. Um, you know, if, you, if you've been in the industry for maybe a couple of years, then I think it's really helpful in particular. So uh, but I think it's also there. for your more experienced brokers can keep up to date, say, with other products, whether it be a CRM you're looking for or you want to learn more about Knowledge Bank or Tracker Hub or Mortgage Broker Tools or whatever. There's literally 25 categories on this. Anything that can happen to a mortgage broker or any problems that you've got, there's basically an answer on that, even stuff like bridging, stuff like that. Yeah, there's everything on there. And obviously one of the main products that you speak about is the conveyancing. So can you give us kind of three USPs as to why or as to how you can help people with their conveyancing, especially mortgage brokers? Yeah, I think the biggest problem um, in the conveyancing sector, I think, is is communication and a bit of understanding. Um, so as much as it's a bit of a weird USP, I think literally the level of transparency that we as a business have, and certainly myself when I'm liaising with people, I think that's our best USP and the most important one as well. So as an example, there's loads of stuff that mortgage brokers don't know because no one tells them. So I wouldn't expect mortgage brokers to know. So simple 
uh, another USP is that we do not tie law firms into search packs. If I'm a mortgage broker, I might say, well, so what? What does that mean? Well, the reason that panels and other people may tie a law firm into a search pack is, is because you make money. The search pack will, if you and I, Chris, owned the search pack, we would go to insert name a panel. You tie your law firms into me. We get 1,000, 2,000 instructions a month. We make a load of money from the lawyers on search packs, and we'll give you 50 quid, 100 quid, 150 quid kickback. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Problem with that is the selection of the search pack is not necessarily going to be based on the best service. So a lot of law firms will not work with panels and other parties if you're tied into a search pack. Yeah. And even if they are, they're already a bit upset about it. They're doing it through gritted teeth because they want the work. The problem you've got is if you then have a sink full of water and keep the tap turned on, you're obviously going to have a major problem. Mm. Now, some search pack providers are obviously better than others. But if you and I, Chris, own the search pack and we know that our clients have to use us, they're literally tied in. Why would we recruit more people? Why would we try and ease that bottleneck? It's not even, we don't get shouted at by anyone. Yeah. We're that's, in the yeah, background. It's always been the thing with solicitors, isn't it? And I, I know we're talking about search packs here, but you can keep on taking business and business and business on. Well, it, I have sympathy for the solicitors on that one because you might be doing a great job, but let's say you're using a search pack that you're tied into. Mm-hmm. You've got a confidentiality agreement there. So I can't come to you, the mortgage broker, and go, listen, the reason these searches are taking a little bit longer than they should be is because actually I'm tied in uh-huh. by your choice of panel. And had we not been tied in, I wouldn't use that search pack. Yes. I'd use a different one that's £150 cheaper and also a bit quicker. Mm. So that's not helping. They can't reveal that for obvious reasons. Yeah. So... That is, a now don't get me wrong, local authorities, as we can all imagine, are going to be struggling and are not exactly great at turning these around. So when the market's in this state of mayor, you know, there's law firms that are 50% down on their remortgage departments, but have had to hire 50, 60, 70 lawyers for their purchase departments. There's so many people going, yeah. It's it's incredible. You know, I, I was speaking to a builder the other day who cannot get a skip. Really? So he, he cannot get one. I was speaking to another builder who um, has literally quoted for a ground floor mini extension, 80 grand, which is double what he'd normally quote, and they've taken it and paid it. Like, I've just never known anything like Crazy this. market, isn't it? But so, so with that with that search, so just in, in, in a conclusion, yeah. that USP is you're transparent, and by, using, by not being tied to a search pack, it can, could make things quicker for the mortgage brokers. Yeah, in terms of a, a, a speed, speed. US, USPs on this are one, law firms that get, uh, don't have any tie-ins with us on anything mm-hmm. at all. Okay. So basically it gives the law firms, A, we have more freedom of law firms to pick from. Yeah. Because if you do try and tie law firms in, you're using a smaller menu of law firms to choose, if you like. Secondly, if law firms are up to capacity, they have to tell us and we kick them off the panel. So, and they're allowed back because we want them to be honest with us about the capacity issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also monitor the, the Google and Trustpilot reviews. So whilst we also have them on our site, so that when you're picking a lawyer, you've got their scores and access to the online reviews there uh-huh. and there, we monitor them as well. So like recently, I won't name them, of course, but we did suspend the law firm recently um, when we hadn't had a complaint about them. But the last 10 or 12 reviews online 
just made us nervous mm-hmm. and it painted a picture that this this was that's a firm up to capacity with it yeah yeah, yeah and, and, and they'll come back on that's not a problem you know we hadn't had a complaint about them um but as i say we did that to try and protect the brokers um look you know we can't promise the earth i don't own a conveyancing firm yeah. we are not a conveyancing firm so you know the the big usp for us i think from what I've, i'm told from other brokers some brokers use us because we pay faster mm-hmm. so we basically advance you the referral fees on completion so some brokers stay with us because that's that's what they really like others say our system is much simpler to use than others others say there are law firms on our panel they want to use that aren't on others others do it because they like online discount club so basically you if you work with us you can pass an online discount club for free to your clients if that's what you want to do okay other people use us for the customer service so i won't name them but they basically say that with other panels if they've had bad treatment from a law firm get in touch with the panel and they feel like the panel don't do anything, won't answer the phone, aren't responsive. When there is a problem with the law firms, which let's be honest about this, it's inevitable there are going to be issues, especially in a heightened market like this. So when they get in touch with us, we literally go, we've all got an agreed SLA. The brokers sign it when they sign up and our law firms sign it. So Chris, if you were a broker and you email us, say this is what's happened, we will go to the law firm and say, this is the written, you know, uh, query shall we say what's your response mm-hmm. and to be fair 80 90 percent of the time i would say there's never a law it's the law firm doing anything wrong from a conduct issue if anything it comes down to communication so communication uh, transparency and price those are your three yeah and, and i think i think those are the things that, that give us that bit of a that, that bit of a usp and the other thing that i think is also a usp is some of the other which does us a disservice sometimes is that we don't pay big backhanders. So there are there are other parties that pay big affiliate fees out to try and drive usage. So if you like, you've got another mouth to feed out of the whole conveyancing piece, and we don't do that. So I think that's another factor that, you, that when you come in, it's really stripped back. Um, and you can contact speak to Sean in more detail about these. You can have a chat with him and go through everything. But one of the tools that stuck out to me when you were talking about how you help people is, is helping people get Google reviews. So could you give us a little insight into how people can get more Google reviews? Well, yeah. Okay. So just generally, um, if you haven't already, you need to have a Google My Business uh listing or google my business page and it literally would take you like an hour to do we've got a free ebook um on the site uh people have told me we should charge for it to be fair but it's literally it's 40 pages and it gives you loads of info that you don't have to sign up for emails or spam or any of that nonsense it's literally just go on our site get the free ebook it's yours and it takes you through how to set up your google my business listing the best tips on how to set up the page and then tips about what you should do after you've set up the Google My Business page. That's and the good thing about it, it's free, unlike your trust pilots and other things like this. And it's very, very low maintenance. Now, once you've set up your Google My Business page, in essence, you if you're going to do this yourself, as soon as you, you finished interacting with a client and you get a vibe that, I know you will have always done a good job, but it's more important that you get the vibe that the, the client's yeah. really, really happy with you. That's when you would approach them. When, when when they're still warm if you like and say i rely on you know feedback is really important to me and i really value what my clients tell me about the service where i can improve 
But if you've had a good service, it's really important to me to, to grow my online presence and keep getting these reviews. And as I'm sure you can appreciate, would you be so kind, you know, to leave me a five star review or or whatever? Um, and then obviously, as you the reason for doing that is the local three pack. So do it yourself. We do this in the actual book. Yeah. So in Merseyside, and this is mad, if you Google mortgage broker um, in Merseyside, there's literally quite often a Manchester firm that appears in the local three pack. And why is that the case? Because no mortgage brokers in this area are doing their Google My Business page. Sorry, can you just explain Google to people Google. what the three pack is? Yeah, so the local three pack is, is an incredible um, tool for small businesses, self-employed professionals, even medium-sized operations that want to grow their local presence. So the way Google works, if you type in a search, especially in services, let's say mortgage broker, you get Google ads at the top, but a lot of clients will just scroll past them because now there's a bit more awareness that they're ads. Yeah. And then you'll maybe have frequently asked questions or other things that people question. And then just below that, you'll have to like the local three pack. And what the local three pack is, is that Google looks for businesses in that sector, let's say mortgage brokers, who have set up a Google My Business listing page that have listed the services as mortgage broker, that have been verified by Google, and then they look at the quantity and quality of your reviews. So if you've got loads of five-star reviews, you start climbing the local three-part ladder, then the more of them you get, the more... And, and the great thing with this is you then stay ahead of your competition. Mm -hmm. So the sooner you start to do it, the better it is for you in the long term. So in Merseyside, uh, you know, it's public information. I don't have a relationship with them myself. But in Merseyside, there's a, a firm called Concept Mortgages. So yeah. they've got 242 five-star reviews. So they wow. always appear first. But then beneath that, there's literally zero competition. Like, like the, there's, a, there's a firm in West Kirby that started to grow theirs as well. Um, but in Merseyside, there was a Manchester firm appearing. So... Now, what's important here is when you then go below the local three pack, you have got your big national brands that have got seven figure advertising budgets. So to put this in context, I could set up as a mortgage broker today. And I could beat my national competition in terms of where I appear on page one on Google, because Google will prioritize the local search yeah. over the nationwide SEO benefits. And that's great um, for the the kind of people that listen to this podcast, it's it's those local people that want to try and win on Google. And I promise you, if you download that ebook, I haven't looked at it myself, but from what you've spoke about in the last five minutes, if you download that ebook, it will help you no end. There's there's gonna be so much in, in, in the ebook, there's a video that we've embedded where you'll see um, me literally google search mortgage broker in merseyside and take you through it all you so you it. can see what a client would see and the other thing you know as we move through the decade i think look if you're a mortgage broker who's going to be retiring in the next couple of years who cares don't worry about it yet reality but if you're either looking to regardless of what it is if you think you're going to either sell your business or you still want to be in practice in five years time this is one of the lowest hanging fruit, I think, that's out there because no one is doing it. You will get a head start on all of your rivals, for want of a better phrase. And in reality, it's going to be very difficult for them to catch up, extremely difficult for them to ever catch you, potentially, if you maintain it. And that's why we created, um, very briefly, we created something called a reputation enhancement membership 
So, you know, it's, it's 30 quid a month or something like that. But I think it's, that's just criminally underpriced in that you can basically put through your last couple of months worth of clients, put through your existing clients as you go. And what will happen is we have a mobile phone number that's dedicated to you and you only. And what it will do is it will trigger a message to your clients automatically say, hey, Chris, you know, delighted to receive your instructions. It was a privilege to work on the mortgage for you. Feedback is really important to me. Could you please give me a rating from 0 to 5? Now, if Chris then says 4 or 5, the automated reply will then divert them to your specific Google page to get that review. If they say three or less, it'll bounce them to your email so that you can then decide whether you want to follow up, whether you want to try and whether that's just one that you can in. Ideally, that's one you want to manage and get in touch with them. And But they feel like they've let a bit of steam off because obviously you only want your five-star reviews, worst case four on your Google My Business yeah, page. Of course, if yeah. there is anyone who rightly or wrongly is annoyed, you want to deal with them in a different way and keep them away. But what we also do in the reputation enhancement service is we send a 12-month um, thank you card to your client, nice. personalised from you without you lifting a finger, and a non-religious Christmas card goes to the client from you as well. Um, so nice you know that... in touch yeah. with your clients all the time. Yeah, so you're basically automatically building your five-star reviews, but also 12 months on, they're getting a little thank you card. Now, what will most people do if they get a card? They'll put it up on the mantelpiece. They'll put it up wherever. Same with the now, Christmas card, exactly the same, or non-religious festive card. But particularly the thank you card, that's the kind of thing where your auntie Margaret comes round and I'll have a little nose at that when she's having a break. It's the kind of thing that you mention to people. Yeah. Um, and it just strengthens those word of mouth recommendations. And also it's just that little reminder, if you like. So it's like, hey, that's Chris, the mortgage broker, that kind of thing. <laughs> So I think that's a great service for people to do anyway, isn't it? I mean, no, I know you guys do. If you can send out those thank you cards and it's free branding for you, isn't it? Oh, it's so, nothing you can't do yourself. We just try and make it convenient for people. Yeah, convenience, and, and that's for those who want the automation and the convenience of it, then it's 30 quid a month. And, and most people have got that available for other people. I would just say, don't pay us 30 quid and do it yourself. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, Google, we've gone on a lot about Google reviews there, which is awesome. And I just want to quickly touch on social media because I was going to make a section of this about social media, about how you increase your presence online on, on LinkedIn and, and those kind of things. But I think talking about what we've spoken about, it's added a lot more value than if we were going through the LinkedIn stages. But when you talk about social media, for you to grow it, how often do you need to spend on social media a day? So obviously I come from a football coaching background. So when you watch a game of football or sport, are you watching or are you analysing? Good point. And there's nothing wrong with having some time in your life just to watch sport, get that. So I think, are you going on social media because you're in a habit of scrolling or you're looking for some escape or you're interested or you're in a habit of just scrolling through and you're just watching and just absorbing mm -hmm. or, or are you analysing? Now for me, when it's, when it's your hobby or your free time or whatever you want to do, of course, get that escape, do whatever works for you. There's a time and place for that. In terms of business, how, how long would you do business? So I think in terms of business, you need to be analysing. So I think every day, I'm not too bothered, actually, from the off. So if you look at me, you'll see periods in the last decade where I've been very active on Twitter and LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So you'll see periods where I am. You'll also see periods where I haven't been. 
generally the reason for that is that I'm building. So if I'm building, which is what we're sort of doing at the moment uh, across a couple of our operations, I'm literally pulling 14 hour days. But on top of that, my biggest priority is being a good dad, which to be fair, probably a decade ago, I was probably average, right? So my biggest priority is being a good dad. And then my second priority is putting that kind of a work rate in. So if I was to try and put myself under the, let's call it pressure of creating educational or entertaining content, because I'm not doing it for just doing its sake. Like I could just pick up pictures of a dog, a cat, my kids, and I get tons of likes and <laughs> I couldn't care less about that. If, if I'm going to be doing anything, it's genuinely to try and build a community. And if I'm going to do that, I need to do two things. One, I need to provide content that's either educational or entertaining. Right, so I just need to stop like, you there for two seconds because I'm posting this evening, I've scheduled a post that is literally labelled educate or entertain and there's photos of two dogs. Love it, brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to send you after this, just so it isn't that I've nicked this idea and uploaded it tonight, I've pre-scheduled this idea, sorry. Carry no, on, you want it. to educate and, and edu or entertain. But, but yeah. also, the other, the other thing that I like to do if I am on there, and, and this is just my view of how you should do it, okay, Um but it is also a Gary V phrase in that. So Gary V calls it the $1.80 strategy, which is basically throwing your two cents 90 times. Now, for me, it's different. I, I'm going back to when I was on Twitter, like 2010, 2011. So I built up a very large following on Twitter pretty quickly. And basically, I didn't do it to get, I'm not interested in how many followers you've got. I'm not interested in how many likes you've got. I'm more interested in what your strategy and your tactics are. Do you know what I mean? So my view on it is you're better off if you're dead busy and rammed you're better off doing little and making sure that it's quality and things that you're happy with and that kind of thing than trying to force yourself and putting yourself under any mental stress or anxiety do you know what i mean and look you know we're on your show chris you know what i mean there's people like you, yourself out there who are just brilliant tools for people and partners for people to work alongside they just take a lot of that pressure and stress away provide that bit of x expertise as well and you can work as a partnership on it and take that to the next level so my view on it is that hand-to-hand -hand combat that if you're going to i think too many people go on social media they post and then they they bounce yeah so they post and then they go right so i think that's quite selfish you're posting and expecting people to engage with it and absorb it and respond to it but you're not going to do that to anyone else and i also don't like people who live in like their ivory tower if you like who if it's a, an industry big player they're all over them like a mouse on cheese but if it's someone who's a 24 year old newbie they're not interested do you know what i mean it's well, almost like there's some kind of weight given to a follower yeah. which i just think's like wrong do you know what i mean so for me if you want my honest opinion what i would recommend people do is that you look at your diary literally monday to sunday and you get with i'm talking with your work hat on now so let's say linkedin facebook stuff like linkedin in particular i would literally lock in time whether it be in the daytime or whether it be something that you think when the kids are in bed i'll get a coffee and literally have half an hour where you can kill two birds with one stone go and have an hour absorbing linkedin mm. and actually read or watch the videos and throw your two cents in interact with people yeah and interact with the content whether you agree or you disagree politely engage with that contact get into that hand-to-hand -hand combat you might not even need to post yourself 
you might just be engaging with people in that way but what you're also doing is you're watching what everyone else does so what your brain will be doing is going well would i have done that that way would i have done that different could i use that and actually put a twist on that and it gives you all them ideas and i think by they're the two gary v things that he always says which are spot on is one put the time in to absorb the platform and mm-hmm. see what works and what doesn't and two his two cent thing is basically going through 90 posts a day you're if you're right. in and getting into that hand-to-hand combat but genuinely absorbing the content and speaking to people and you spoke about linkedin going onto linkedin and, and interacting with people that's obviously great for you because that's where your ideal client is and personally where my ideal client is. But for a mortgage broker, the way that I'd adapt that to their business is go on Facebook and interact with local businesses. 100%. We're talking about, Sean and I are huge believers in being local and you can hear the way that he talks about Google My Business. Do the same on Facebook. There's a local florist, upload a photo. Flowers have nothing to do with mortgage broker, but if they see a Karen Smith interacting with the florist saying look beautiful beautiful flowers or a john smith interacting with a local baker your name's appearing in the comments it's free branding this is completely free half an hour you have the time it's such it's a massive thing interact with local businesses on facebook yeah i well if i was a broker looking to um if i was just right i'm gonna stop you there because i'm gonna ask you this question because i know what you're gonna go on to here this is where I ask the strategy question and it leads us perfectly into this. So we're going to pretend that say you've moved north of Scotland from where you are. You've got a laptop, a mobile phone with internet connection, access to all your social. In Scotland. <laughs> my mom, I always mention on this, I've got a brother. We're on 5G. My mum, my mum's Scottish. So uh, <laughs> uh, I have to be polite. <laughs> um, yeah. So you've got 5G up there. They've just installed the top, top internet. What would you do to start gaining leads? So if I was a mortgage broker and and I'm in that situation, I would um, I, I would go into the local area. I mean, look, let, let's forget jurisdiction and, and any other practicality issues out of the way. But hypothetically, I would go into the local area immediately, understand as much as I can about the local area as quickly as possible, and I would have a three pronged strategy. Number one would be posting regularly on Facebook. Um, you know, doesn't always have to be on on brand because people get into different things. I would set up a Facebook group for the local area. Okay. Um, in that, I think if you think back to forums in the sort of nineties and two thousands, if you think about look at mortgage brokers, the success of the Cherry Forum in that sector. If you think about Neighborhood Watch, if for for the oldies amongst yeah. us that remember you local community clubs and things like that. I think if you get a small business group or the the local group or whatever you want as that, it could be anything, whether it's the main road, aren't we all sick of all them potholes and the the issues with whatever, as much as it could be local independent businesses sticking together. And then what I would also do, similar to what you were just referencing, Chris, I would have a look in the local area for as many um, independent businesses of any size, which are either dead active on Facebook or have their own podcast. And what I would then do is invite, I would create a local business show, if you like, where you might only do a half an hour Zoom call a week. You literally get on the show, that independent business or whatever. That then gives you your, if you want to take it to the nth degree, 
that then gives you the audio, the video, and potentially the transcript of that. That can go in your Facebook group. And then by the time you publish that, what's the owner of that independent business going to do? They're going to plaster it across their Twitter. They're going to plaster it across their Facebook. You're then piggybacking their brand, offering them a great platform and a load of value. Um, and then the chances are they'll invite you back on theirs or whatever it be. So I think if I was looking to, and, and obviously I would do the Google, my business, yeah. um, three packages, your location, wherever my location is. And I would literally just be going through as many clients as I can on the Google, my business listing, knowing that if people Google the area and bang there with any of my rival mortgage brokers for free Google traffic, no paid. I've then got the Facebook group for the independent businesses and, and everything else focusing on the location. And then everyone in the area is going to be following some of these independent businesses. So getting involved in the hand to hand combat and stuff like that, it, th that's all I would do. Matt, I've sat here, obviously this is on video, I've sat here with a massive smile on my face because that is everything that I would do. I've never been asked the question, but I would do a lot of those things. You took it to the next level and set up a Facebook group for all the local businesses. Yeah, it's a bit speechless really because that is exactly the way that I would do it. I'd take it to that massive level where you are known, not just as the mortgage broker, but what Gary Vee talks about, you're the local media channel. You're talking about the road that has potholes. You're talking about the lost cat. You're talking about the new business that's open down the street that's doing amazing bakery. That's, that's if you really want to win locally, that's the level you need to take it to. You can't just upload one social media post every couple of days and expect leads to come in. It doesn't happen that way, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm yeah, that's blown me away, that answer. I love that. Thanks very much. I'll just quickly add on that, though. Something that I don't like in it just in life at the moment is, is it just seems to be a lot that is like you've got to work yourself into the ground and you've got to put the hours in and almost like almost as if it it, it it's just not the dumb thing not to do not it any other way. And I and I just think that's yeah, and I I just think that's all wrong. I think, you know, look, if you're a mortgage broker, your priority is your clients. And that, and that no I take take that back actually your priority is your mental and physical well-being not just for you but for the people who love you that is your priority because without them you've got nothing from a work perspective yes of course you you've then got to look after your clients my view is you do not have to go and be the next gary v or whatever and release 100 pieces of different content a week and put yourself under that level of pressure i think what is better is you, if it, it, worst case scenario, you do have to do something, but Google my business, people like yourself, Chris, who provide the support that you, you provide are absolutely critical in their marriage, both from an expertise and a convenience factor and a results, um, you know, area to that. And then alongside all of that, um, I think the best, it doesn't matter how active you want to be on them channels, the more you can, um, how can I put it? The more you can get maximum results that are greater than the sum of its parts, if you like, all the better for it. Because if you want to do more on top of that, great. You've got a massive yeah. level of efficiency. But actually, if you're looking to put in minimal effort and get maximum results, what I would do if I was you, even if you're not going to do podcasts, is think of something you can do in half an hour or an hour a week. And then think about how you can change that into like loads of different pieces of content. So you could, you could speak to Chris and get Chris's ideas uh, about other stuff to complement what you're already doing with Chris yeah. as an example. Yeah, so that it's exactly. all on brand. I like, I like people 
because what I offer as a service is I'm going to upload three posts a week. So if you are busy, you know that there's posts going out. But I do like when people pick my brain. What should I do a video about? Well, a lot of first-time buyers don't know what the government guarantee 5% scheme is. Do I have to apply for it? Might it help to buy? Do I have to use certain lenders? That would make a great video. But what I'd say, you talking about the minimum maximum, I think at the beginning, if you want to be known locally, you do have to put that maximum effort in, like anything, to get your name known. Once your name's known in six months' time, you don't have to put much effort in because all of the businesses or all of the local Facebook celebrities, and when I say celebrities, I'm talking about the people who love Facebook, that love recommending people in local groups, and they'll do the hard work for you. Almost try and piggyback off other businesses' success because they'll do the same for you and you can help each other. So, like, yes, I do agree with you that if you want to put minimum effort in to get the best results think about how you can do that but I think you have to put maximum effort in at the beginning to kind of give yourself solid foundations like anything isn't it 100% and I, th I think just to sort of wrap up on that the other thing I would add is, is self-awareness so it's funny if I'm doing like I've done podcasts for like 10 years I so I, I like being in yes I like being in like conversations and commu com communicating like this I, I like it being like tennis and and each yeah. other interrupting each other and you know almost like you're having a passionate talk in a pub if you said to me though and I've done this before and it's really hard if you say to me um record in front of a live camera whether it's your phone or an actual video like I did some stuff a couple of years ago in front of a camera um and it took me about 37 takes for really? something very like for somebody that's quite confident like yourself and I want people to take that away from this podcast that Sean's a very confident person on camera but it took you 37 times. So don't beat yourselves down if it takes you a few tries. To yeah, so I I don't do that type of content don't for you? me, um, generally. Um, so you might, if you're going to sit there and go, I must do videos, and you're procrastinating about it, don't do videos. Okay. So, you know, don't be wrong. I, I'm a big believer in self-improvement. So I'd work on it. i get better at it um and stuff like that but the worst thing you can do is do a video like this like reading off a script <laughs> yeah or whatever um so if you're going to do a video it's got to be a good video that you're happy with otherwise you're not going to want to do it anymore if what you produce and deliver isn't good enough so if you're happy on video i'd say that's amazing if you're more comfortable on audio just do audio uh if you're more happy writing do writing people and, and chris you're the master of this when it comes to like really clever creative graphics really clever creative images you know the things that complement it because the most important thing is is actually what is the quality of what you're putting out there yeah. irrelevant to the medium because there's still people who want to read there's still people who want to watch and there's still people who want to listen because if you're doing a video one of the hardest things that's going to come in more and more is all the social platforms immediately mute your video and about 80 percent of videos get watched with the sound off yeah so, and especially in a technical area, like dealing with mortgages, if you use your kind of acronyms and stuff like that, and you use some kind of automated tool to do subtitles, you always run the risk that it'll, it won't get what you're saying. And actually the subtitle will be wrong or incorrect or whatever. When you get into like burning captions in, that's a whole nother world, which takes quite a lot of time. So I would say videos are amazing 
especially because you can rip the audio out of them. So if you can do them, I think you should. But I think if you're not comfortable on them, my advice would be to practice, 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 practice in private. And in the meantime, deliver the content that you're really comfortable doing, you don't think twice about. Awesome. Mate, that's a perfect way to sign off the podcast because video is so a big thing at the minute. So it's it's great to hear that. No, I really hope everybody's got some um, some value from this. And I feel like we could have gone, we've been going an hour to be fair, one of the longest ones I've done. We could have gone for another hour. Um, guys, hit Sean up. He'll answer any of your questions. As you can see, he's a nice, friendly guy. Send him a LinkedIn message, send him an email, but check out the Mortgage Broker Club website and have a look at the tools. There are loads and loads of tools on there that will be able to help you. To sign off, mate, um, I ask everybody who comes on the podcast to give me a charity and I'll donate £10 on behalf of yourself um, to say thank you for coming on the podcast. So which charity do you want me to donate to? Really appreciate that, Chris. Great gesture. Um, yeah, so my mum was a special needs teacher and was an amazing teacher. She taught in some very um, tough areas before she had to retire through ill health. And, and she even taught in like Canada and places like this. And, wow. Brixton, um, Marsad. She even taught in a school elsewhere that didn't have a window, believe it or not. Um, and I, what the, probably the toughest thing for her in the sort of 70s and early 80s was um, the only love that some of the kids got sometimes was in their class, or even if they had loads of love at home, sometimes the only real food and drink they were getting properly was in school, like free school dinners and you know milk at break time and stuff like that. Um, so my mum was also always very passionate about like the NSPCC and Childline and stuff like that. Um, and I know the NSPCC haven't always covered themselves in glory, to be fair, as an institution. But in terms of what to do with kids, my mum was always a big backer of theirs. So, yeah, the NSPCC, for those reasons, would be the charity that I would pick. Fantastic. Lovely way to sign it off. Well, Sean, thanks very much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. And I hope people have got some value from this today. Cheers, mate. So thank you very much for listening. If you feel this podcast brought you any value at all, I'd be extremely grateful if you could leave me a review on the podcast, little five stars, and subscribe to keep you up to date with all future episodes. We can also connect on social, so you can get me on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, all with the handle Social for Brokers. Look forward to hearing from you and connecting with you all.